0: This podcast is sponsored by the OAG Punctuality League. The OAG Punctuality League 2016 reveals on-time performance for the world's airlines and airports. The industry's most comprehensive annual ranking returns with the best performers. Airline categories include mainline airlines, low-cost carriers, and top performers from North America, Latin America, EMEA, and Asia Pacific. Visit oag.com slash punctualityleague2016. We begin today with a bit of a sad story. Let's call it the turnaround story that didn't include a turnaround. It's the story of a struggling airline that made a lot of the right moves, moves that in another time and another place might have us singing its praises today. But instead of a one hundred eighty, they've done a three hundred sixty. It's the story of SAS or Scandinavian Airlines. They've done a lot of cost cutting, but in their most recent quarter posted just a nine percent operating margin, which was down significantly from the thirteen percent in the same quarter of the year before. In short, they've gone backward. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly. And joining me is the happy go lucky Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner at Airline Weekly. Thanks. Happy to be here. That
1: sounds (laughs) convincing.
0: (laughs) We'll talk about how SAS finds itself in the spot it does. We'll also talk about Frontier's great quarter, JetBlue's true identity, Delta's upcoming earnings report, and airline profitability around the world. It's all coming up on episode 60 of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. We're talking about SAS, who recently reported their earnings for the August to October quarter. They turned in a 9% operating margin, down from 13% in the same quarter the year before. Seth, why was this particularly disappointing? Well, particularly
1: disappointing, Jason, because uh, well, first of all, you know, fuel costs, at least in U.S. dollar terms, of course, have fallen, and, and 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 around then, a lot of airlines were sort of still benefiting from that. I mean, everybody's under yield pressure, but uh, you you would have hoped that those falling fuel prices could have given them more of a tailwind. And, and and disappointing also, Jason, because of all they've done, and I think this is what you were getting at, all they've done to try to restructure themselves. I mean, they have slashed costs in, in in very Painful ways, uh, and, and and to be clear, they've made a lot of progress in that regard. I mean, they they uh, you know, they're a far more productive airline than they used to be. Uh, today, uh, serving more markets than they did at the start of the decade, but with twenty five percent fewer employees, fewer in house employees, to be clear. But you know, j- just generally speaking, a a, a much more productive airline and finally jason by the way i just want to point out you said it august to october quarter if that sounds like a weird quarter um it it, it is it's it's a kind of a quirky calendar they have back when they were on the verge of, of well of liquidating several years ago they kind of had to adjust the calendar to uh to straighten things out and so uh always a little bit trickier to to do the apples to apples
0: comparison since uh you know since they have that weird calendar but that that's what we're here for and it helps us out because it gives us something to talk about between earning seasons. Yeah. So, uh, what's the problem? Why hasn't it worked out better for SAS? And do try to answer without using the word Ryanair. I'm just kidding <laughs> about that. Well, the next question, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Ryan, Ryanair, uh, emblematic, not only of Ryanair, although
1: it certainly involves Ryanair, but a uh, bit of all the low cost capacity there. You know, part of what had helped SAS the previous uh, year, and to be clear, you know, Part of the problem is 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 that um, you know we're comparing this most recent quarter against a particularly good quarter. So the previous year, uh, you had this unusually benign capacity environment in Scandinavia. You know there was all this growth in general in Europe, but for various reasons, airlines were just kind of focusing their growth elsewhere. And SAS, by the way, knew this. I mean, this didn't come as a surprise. They were saying it, you know, early last year that hey, uh, you know, things are going to get tougher. They can look at schedules as well as you and I can, you know, going forward and see, uh, see the capacity growth. And, uh, you know, in the end, they you know this is supply and demand economics. And when there's lots of new capacity, uh, airfares tend to drop, yields drop. Uh, when there's capacity constraints, that tends to prop up airfares. Uh, and that's what had been going on the previous year, uh, sort of in a, to an unusual extent in, in, in that part of Europe. And, uh, it's what stopped going on, uh, you know, sort of reverting to what's, what's, what's more often than not been. The mean uh, the, over the past decade or so, which is uh, lots of capacity growth by low-cost carriers. I mean, you mentioned Ryanair, uh, obviously Norwegian, uh, very aggressive in, in, in its home region. I mean, it's, it's focused a lot of its attention elsewhere, but there's a reason it's called Norwegian. And uh, SAS has uh, has uh, certainly one of its major hubs in, in Oslo, the same place that uh, Norwegian itself is based.
0: And so SAS has been treading water, shall we say, for 15 years now. Does that give us the answer to this question? Will they ever be a solidly profitable airline again? Do they have any more levers to throw? I guess you could ask, uh, do they
1: have any more levers to throw? And do they have any more to throw that they're that they're kind of allowed to throw or, or, or ever would throw? Um, you know, one reason I say that, I, I just a moment ago said, one of its hubs in, in Oslo, right? The, the operative part of that phrase being one of you know for for a not huge airline to have its operations spread across three hubs Oslo Stockholm and and and, and Copenhagen is uh is not ideal you know I, I don't know what exactly it would do if it had full freedom to just sort of allocate capacity wherever it wanted but I do know it doesn't have that freedom I mean it, this is an airline that although yes it shares trade publicly it's 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 owned by uh, the governments of, of, of Norway Sweden and uh, and indeed Denmark it's uh, to a degree a public good and then uh, uh, you know there there are uh, uh, you know, sort of broader economic development reasons for you know for for countries wanting to ensure that uh that they have lots of air service but um in terms of the the airlines uh, own finances you know uh it, it doesn't have the freedom to the full freedom to allocate capacity uh where where it where it otherwise might put it um you know certainly i mean look up uh, Norway the economy there has been most problematic of of the three because it's 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 more of a petro economy, more dependent on oil revenue, and and, and indeed, um, you know, everybody's kind of reoriented capacity growth away from Norway, whereas that market was absolutely booming up until uh, just a couple of years ago. Yeah, look, SAS does not have the freedom to say, "Hey, we're going to close the Oslo hub." Again, I'm not saying that would be advisable, but. But if it were, they wouldn't be able to do that. So, um, their hands are somewhat tied. Uh, you know, it's a, it, it, it's a, it's an airline that, you know, if you look at it, it seems to be just kind of a reasonably uh, you know, well managed airline that, that does the most with its opportunities operating uh, within its constraints. Um, yeah, you know, an airline that has, a, again, because of its different nationalities, lots and lots of labor unions uh, to deal with. Um, and uh, it, I mean, it's it's gotten a lot of labor reform, uh, as I mentioned, very. In, in very painful ways, from the, the uh, perspective of the employees, um, you know, lower wages, more flexibility, and so forth, during these uh, various rounds of cost cutting. But it, but it's just been sort of this race to the bottom between the falling costs and the falling revenues. And, uh, here we are once again. Basically what's happened here, Jason, is the, uh, the falling revenues have taken the lead, uh, a year or so earlier. Uh, the costs had fallen so far that, uh, uh, in a benign revenue environment, it was, it was gaining some ground. And now, uh, now we're back to where we were. Um, and, uh, I, I know you wanted to talk later in the show about the overall global profitability ranking. Uh, but, but while we're on SAS right now, I'll just tell you that of 72 airlines in the world, uh, for the most recent 12 months reported, um, only 10 of them had had uh, worse operating margins uh, than SAS. Now to be clear, some of those 10 are, are, are far worse off than, than, than SAS. This is an industry that's doing reasonably well and SAS is in the black, unlike some of those performers below it. But there are far more airlines above it than below it on the list.
0: Moving on to greener pastures, Frontier also reported its third quarter earnings in December. And, well, here's an airline that knows how to do the turnaround story. 26% operating margin, second only to Alaska in the third quarter. Did you expect it to be this good? Yeah, greener pastures, not only because of, of a familiar
1: green logo on, on the side of its plane alongside, of course, the uh, – Famous animals on its tail. Um, you yeah, know the, what they've done is impressive. I mean, look, it, it's it's we've talked about it before, Jason. You know, if you had to start an airline and you say, "Well, what model do I pick?" I mean, it's not the only way to make money in the airline industry, but uh, there's there's no better way to do it than the ultra low cost carrier model. Just sort of broadly speaking, uh, that's what they've done, um, and and it's it's uh, it's working. Uh, very well for them, uh, and, and by the way, that twenty six percent margin notable also uh, for the fact that it uh, that it improved on a year over year basis at a time when many of its competitors uh, have begun slipping, albeit from 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 very high uh, levels. At uh, you know up from twenty four percent a year earlier. That during a time when when. Spirit, for example, although still doing very well, um, had had uh, had slipped several points. Uh, several other airlines also uh, in the U.S. Uh, more than not, in fact, uh, you know, slipping from from their heights. So yeah, it it, it uh, you know not, I'm not surprised to see it doing well, but uh, for an airline that sort of has gone into and out of a lot of markets in recent years, uh, you know, it made a lot of changes very quickly. Uh, certainly, heartening to see confirmation that that in fact uh, what they're doing is working for them. I uh, Should say also, Jason, that that it is an airline that that tends to have rather dramatic peaks and valleys seasonally, uh, and so you know we'll 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 see what their their fourth and then first quarter uh calendar quarter look like when those numbers emerge and it takes longer because they're 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 a private airline they don't uh, do earnings calls and so forth. So it's just sort of when the numbers stream out from uh, from the government and, and we have a chance to analyze them. But um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see that you know, whereas as you mentioned, they're at the very top of the industry for the third quarter, uh, uh, just a notch below Alaska. Um, that you know, they're not in quite that place in the uh, in the fourth and the first quarter because on, on a year round basis, although they're doing well, uh, they don't stand out quite as much on a year-round basis uh, as they do in, in
0: the third quarter, typically. Two quick follow-ups. What do you think of Frontier's strategy going forward? And what about the IPO? Yeah, well, taking the second
1: part first, since I mentioned a minute ago, I said they're they don't trade publicly. Well, um, if if uh, reports in the New York Times are, are are correct, following up on a report last year by Bloomberg uh, that they're preparing an IPO, uh, with, you know that that will soon change, and it wouldn't be any surprise. I mean that this is uh, this is the template. You know, Indigo Partners comes in, uh, turns around an airline, and then eventually takes its shares public. It's what it did with Spirit it's uh what what it's attempting to do with frontier and and uh you know certainly looking at those numbers you'd have to think that there'd be uh a fair amount of investor appetite for uh, for an airline that's that's doing as well uh, as this one is doing and um yeah going forward i mean it, look th- th- this is in some ways, a more challenging environment, uh, for, for the moment for ultra low cost carriers. We've talked about this before, sort of the, the fare compression, the fact that, uh, airlines that try primarily to win on price, uh, actually find it a little more difficult in an environment like this where, quite frankly, you, you know, you, you, you can no longer attract people who don't really want to fly your airline uh, as easily on price alone. Because a couple of years ago, somebody might have flown uh, the, an ultra-low cost carrier who didn't re- really want to fly it because it was hundreds of dollars cheaper uh, than another airline, you know, JetBlue or, or whoever. Um, well, when JetBlue is advertising $39 fares, by definition, you cannot be hundreds of dollars cheaper than JetBlue. And that's the situation we're in. Now, Frontier um, sort of got ahead of that by by beginning already a year or two ago, uh, perhaps even without yet knowing what, what exactly was going to happen. Uh, with the environment began differenti- differentiating themselves by calling themselves low fares done right. So I mean they're very clearly an ultra low cost carrier, unbundled product, the rest of it. Um, but you know they do certain things. You know, they'll they'll pour you a a cup of water and and not charge you for it, even though they will charge you for you know for a soft drink or, or, or coffee, for example, uh, as well as you know, not to mention obviously alcoholic beverages and the rest of it. So so um so they're trying to position themselves as as uh you know something more than a no frills airline. They they also even though they've bundle they offer they offer bundles uh, where you can pay something more and get all kinds of uh, things included you know extra legroom seats and, and and that kind of thing having said all that again on a relative basis you know not the very best environment for airlines like these in terms of uh, the the margin gap between them and the other airlines you know on an absolute basis just just hard to imagine Um Anybody having a problem with the uh, with the kinds of numbers that uh, Frontier is putting out uh, and just, you know, over over the decades, you know, what kind of airline would you rather be? Probably one with uh, with, with a very competitive cost structure, which uh, which they indeed have. So, you, so uh, you, generally speaking, you have to feel pretty
0: good about their future. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, the OAG Punctuality League 2016. Learn more at oag.com slash league 2016 For the next question, I'll turn to our cover story from January 2nd. It was about JetBlue's recent upswing since 2014. We've discussed this on the show before, but looking forward, JetBlue seems to be doing everything, and I... Don't mean that in a great way. They're flying domestically and internationally. They're chasing leisure traffic, chasing business traffic. They've been densifying seats, charging for bags, and at the same time pursuing Mint, their live flat product. They compete with Allegiant and Spirit. They also compete with Alaska and Delta. They seem to be doing everything, which is good on a hockey rink, but is that a <laughs> strategy that can work in business? And do you need to be one or the other? Great question. Yeah, it, it you know that that middle ground.
1: Um, you know we've uh, I think, think we did a cover story a few years ago. We called it you know caught in the middle or something like that. And we talked about airlines around the world that sort of tried to be everything to everybody. Uh, and and no question, there are some of them uh that that are examples of what not to do. You know, Air Berlin comes to mind, Virgin Australia. Um, but I think more precisely, you you can do a lot of different things. You just need to be make sure you are getting compensated for it. Uh and if you're going to yes yeah, so if you're going to offer something more than the ultra low cost carriers you just need to make sure people are paying you for it. Uh, and and uh, you know there are a lot of things that, that people like about JetBlue. In previous years though kind of what was happening is is um you know JetBlue was was maybe getting its share of the traffic. Uh, I mean there's there's almost nobody who wouldn't choose JetBlue over, you know, over Spirit if, if, if that's all, if that's all the decision was, um, but, but you know, these people weren't paying enough of a differential to to fly JetBlue to, uh, you know, to justify the the expense of providing that that nicer product. Uh, I'm talking not only about the seatback television with live you know, live T V and and uh and in recent years complimentary internet and so forth. But I mean it was just even the legroom that they offer, of course the uh the the first bag uh, that you checked used to be included. And um so yeah, they, they just weren't getting compensated for it. Uh and 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 now more and more they are. Uh the the bag fees in particular, uh, which which um you know I think they really implemented brilliantly um the the way they rolled it out. That worked very, very well. I'm not surprised at how well it worked out. I, uh, you, know, you, you know, we've we've been uh, talking real you know, writing for for years in Early Weekly that it, you know, might might be a good idea. But um, but uh, they seem to be uh, actually impressed with how well it, it worked. Basically, uh, they did it, you know, as part of these fair families where, uh, you know, it was sort of more carrot than stick. You know, it wasn't just this 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 big bad. Punitive bag fee. Instead, it was you know. Look, you know, if you still want the bag included, that's that's the mid range fare. You can still have it, just like you always had. But if you want to pay even less, uh, here's the the more basic fare that uh, you know still includes a lot of the other amenities, but not the checked bag. Uh, and and what they've said is that basically, um, they they overestimated the amount of passenger uh resistance they would get you know people just um, uh, uh, were very accepting of it and um it's so so it's been you know highly accretive to to earnings and doesn't seem to have spilled business over to um to any competitors so basically they're looking kind of more like Alaska and you said it before you know Alaska really at the top of the uh of the profit tables um alaska also a well-liked airline but an airline that has very aggressively unbundled its product has had the, the different fare families for years uh, so you know people like them they provide a lot but they get they get paid for what they're providing and and uh, JetBlue, uh, i think the biggest difference is that they are now um getting better compensated for for passengers for um, for how much people like the
0: airline so delta reports earnings this this week how much of an effect do you think the post-election bounce will have on Delta's numbers? Certainly, I mean it's
1: not even a matter of, of opinion. We know from what they said about their December traffic that that uh, that it was helpful, um, and so you know we'll we'll see the the final figures. But uh, um, but yeah, they finally uh, do seem to have gotten their hands around uh, the falling unit revenues. It took a while, but um, it took longer than they than they originally hoped. It took about a year longer than they originally hoped. But they also had um, much cheaper fuel costs, helpfully for uh, for for. Yeah, you know, for a much longer period than anybody foresaw. I mean, a year ago, fuel was, was very, very cheap. Um, so now with fuel costs going up and, you know, airlines kind of dialing down the capacity growth a little bit, no surprise that, that, uh, unit revenues are rising. Uh, you know, Delta will report what in, you know, at any other point in history would have been considered an absolutely excellent fourth quarter. Um, but a fourth quarter that will be substantially worse than the one a year ago. Uh, you know, they, they, they had a, Seventeen percent uh, operating margin of, in, in the fourth quarter of two thousand. Uh, what that would, that would have been two thousand fifteen. Uh, now they're looking at something like eleven percent. So you know that's that's a significant um, significant difference. Even though that'll still be one of their best fourth quarters ever. By the way, Jason, notably there if not for the new pilot contract that would have been more like 15% uh, you know just for some perspective here on 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 how the uh these these new labor deals are 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 weighing on airline earnings um so uh you know let's see here what happens with fuel prices because if you have the the more expensive labor contract you know and then perhaps the confluence of that and uh rising uh, fuel costs, of course, i mean it's it's not speculation to say that, that they're higher right now, they certainly are, but you know if they were to continue rising, that would definitely put um put some pressure uh, on these u s airlines uh, airlines that are nonetheless much well positioned to deal with challenges like those uh, than they were several years back.
0: On page six of this week's Airline Weekly, we've got a fan favorite. I'm talking about our quarterly ranking of the world's airlines in terms of profitability. If you haven't seen it before, well, you really haven't lived. It looks like a glorious spreadsheet, and to nerds like us, it's a beautiful thing. And on this spreadsheet, we've got four columns ranking 70 airlines by profitability in different ways – Revenue, net profits, net margin—in our favorite operating margin—and for simplicity's sake, we're going to focus on that column today because operating margin is the best way to compare airlines of different sizes. And I should add, this ranking is for the last four quarters reported, so it doesn't include the fourth quarter of 2016. So, starting at the bottom of the list, Seth TransAsia, negative 30% operating margin. Whoa.
1: Yeah, and that's why they're they're not in business anymore. Uh, you know, two fatal crashes the uh, yeah you know, some other commercial issues too but uh you know a smallish airline that was just trying to to find its footing to begin with the surprise is probably that it lasted as long as it did after the uh, after the second of of those two crashes
0: second from the bottom is no care at -15% yeah kind
1: of, kind of a m- more interesting discussion in transasia because you know no no, no horribly obvious uh reasons for that an airline if you look at it it seems uh seems viable though you you wonder how much longer it can keep uh uh Putting up numbers like that, I mean, I guess party answers is, as long as it's it's uh, shareholders, which include Thai Airways, by the way, uh, no care being a, a low cost carrier in Thailand. Uh, Thai Airways, one of his backers. You know how how long they're willing to keep, um, presumably pouring capital in. This is uh, an airline that has had its moments in the sun. It's had breakout quarters here and there, but has has struggled to ever really get on its feet on a on a sustained basis. Uh, this is a part of the world where you've got mighty low cost carriers in the marketplace you know air Asia, of course has a has a thai unit just just um uh just a lot of capacity but you know you would want to see it doing better than it uh, has been doing especially in an environment right now where jason um thailand has had its 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 rough moments in terms of uh, political strife and so forth but uh you know th- th- at times terrorism Lately, it's, it's, uh, been, you know, relatively okay there. Uh, um, you you know, you, you, kind of wonder for an airline that's kind of vacillated between different fleet strategies and tried some different things. If it, if if it, if it, if it can't figure it out at this moment in time, um, you know, what's it, uh, what's it going to do next? Because, uh, yeah, not, not, uh, not good when you're the, the least Profitable airline on the list, other than one that, that no longer exists. Should point out, by the way, Jason, that the, of course there are airlines that um, don't appear on this list at all if they don't publish any kind of sort of believable audited uh, financial figures. So, you know, Air India is not on this list, for example.
0: Also near the bottom, Pegasus, Turkish, and Kenya. We've talked about them a lot, so we'll move on, move up the line a little bit. How about this one? Asiana at 4% operating margin. That's well below Korean Air's fairly respectable 9% margin what's the big reason for the separation Aziana
1: ha- had a lot of uh, just problematic markets um the, the good news jason is that and again remember we're talking about the most recent 12 months reported which for most airlines is uh october of 2015 through september of, of 2016 so the good news is that if you look at just kind of the most recent quarter um that converged uh, you know Aziana As- is is um uh sort of started very aggressively uh chopping routes that weren't working um using its low-cost unit to 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 do some uh some things that it thinks are are uh are most appropriate and um and so they uh seem to be acting with a lot of urgency uh and so sort of what they're what they're attacking right now uh, speaks a lot to uh, what they hadn 't been doing but this is an airline actually like korean air that's that 's burdened by a heavy debt load i mean there there's uh, um, there's there's a lot of restructuring to be done there not only sort of on an operating basis but just uh, in terms of the, the the company and and it'll be interesting to see what happens in that market you know Korean air by all appearances is is uh, is likely to form a joint venture with uh with Delta and, and that'll really pressure Aziana because uh it's it's not as if Aziana is then likely to go out and inform a joint venture with well United would be would be the uh the obvious one cuz cuz the whole point is United has a joint venture partner in that part of the world and in all the pond Japan American has one with its partner Japan Airlines um the recent Korean Air is so interesting to Delta is, is because Delta doesn't have a partner in in, in Japan so uh in that regard too it sort of leave, leave Asiana um a little bit uh a little bit more out on a limb uh, than than it is right now. But again, give them credit. At least they do seem to understand what they're facing be taking steps and taking steps uh, in terms of their network most prominently, uh, but not only their network, talking also about a premium economy cabin, which probably makes sense for them and so forth uh, to, to address the
0: situation. Also in the bottom half is Mexico's Interjet at 4%. Mexico has been enjoying a bit of an airline renaissance lately, and you look at Valaris and Viva Aerobus at 14% and 18% respectively, way up near the top of the list. It seems that Interjet is missing the renaissance.
1: Yeah, you know, they're, they're, um, Another one of these airlines. I mean, kind of like what we said about uh, JetBlue before it for a while as an airline people liked, but you know, they weren't really getting compensated for it. Uh, Interjet, sort of a very highly bundled kind of an airline, you know, lots of legroom for everybody, uh, sort of an uh, amenity laden airline that. Um, sure people fly it rather than the uh the the ultra low cost carriers that you mentioned Volaris and Viva but they're not really compensating it for the differential in its uh product. Look they went out and went out and got Russian uh Superjet SSJ100s uh which first of all just broadly speaking you know the these well, again, here's a JetBlue parallel. The the E-190s that JetBlue bought, I mean, they found some applications for them, but that is hardly, um, a, a driver of their profitability. They struggled for a long time to, 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 to find productive things to do with those aircraft. So just generally speaking, uh, low cost carrier, you know, looking for low unit costs, buying smallish aircraft, which just by definition have higher unit costs, you know, hasn't generally been a winning strategy. And then more specifically, uh, I mean, they're, they're the only notable you know, Western carrier to have, uh, to have bought these jets, um, which have, uh, had their operational issues so far. I mean, they, you know, may turn out in the long run to be okay, but it just seems like a relatively undisciplined thing to have done. There's a reason why most other, uh, Western carriers did, didn't want to sort of jump out in front and, uh, and, and, and buy those jets before, before seeing how they performed, uh, in, in revenue service with, uh, with other airlines. And now they're able to, you know, interjects the, the guinea pig that everybody else is able to watch.
0: Okay, moving toward the top of the list, number four with a 23% operating margin is Spirit. We've written a lot lately about how Spirit is running out of room to grow and they're getting squeezed in this low fare environment. I think you mentioned that earlier today. But here we are looking at 12 trailing months and there they are among the leaders. Did that surprise you at all?
1: No, right, number four now, whereas they were number two. Uh, on this same list a year ago at this point still at least with 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 a similar uh margin actually just fractionally different when you go back 12 months now in the most recent quarters i mean you can see them under some pressure uh that that they weren't under a year or so back but uh right i mean it, it it you know, I'll say it again. If you just sort of say over, over the years, over the decades, you know, what, what's, what's the most sustainable model? Um, it's been the low cost model. You know, Spirit is up there with, uh, well, you know, here we go. <laughs> Among the, you know, I'm looking at the top of the list here, you know, uh, Allegiant, Ryanair. Uh, yeah. Then you get Alaska, Spirit. It's, uh, you know, you go on, Cebu uh, Pacific, uh, you know, Wiz Air. Um, th- those are all top 10 airlines. So it's, or Wiz Air is what? One, two, three, four. Five. Anyway, it might be eleven, uh, but uh, but you know, I mean, it, it, you know, Then there's Viva, you know, disproportionately near the top. Now among them, I mean, there's Delta very high on the list and I think number twelve, um, and so forth. So so, uh, and, and we mentioned already, JetBlue doing very very well. Uh, you know, Southwest doing very well. More than one way to make money is in the airline industry, as I said. It's uh, disproportionately uh, you the, the ultra-low-cost carrier, uh, and more broadly, the low-cost carrier model has been the way to do it, this environment is not uh, relatively the best one for them. And the question is, is there something easy they can do about it? Or do you just kind of wait for things to improve? And the interesting thing here is that you, know, you have Frontier, which we talked about earlier, sort of... Uh, sticking with, very much sticking with the ultra-low-cost model, sort of taking the largest airplanes it can, um, you know, the lowest unit cost and everything, just sort of accept accepting it. Look, yeah, there are going to be some challenges, but we're not going to change who we are, uh, uh, that is to say, you know, beyond the changes that they've already made. Whereas Spirit, you know, is saying, well, we don't know if we want those a321s anymore you know maybe take smaller aircraft uh you know maybe not go into the biggest highly competitive markets instead focusing more on on you know uh, markets like you know akron and so forth or just less other competition uh so the question here going forward and it's an interesting one jason is are they overreacting you know do, should they just accept that look yeah you might not have the same differential between you and everybody else but you know being there at the top of the list is still a good place to be, and that sometimes you know doing something is worse than doing nothing uh you know you, you can actually hurt yourself you know is 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 that the case or uh are they right to be taking uh, some of the the uh, uh perhaps i would say surprisingly bold steps that they're taking that they that they are taking for an airline that you know by most standards is is still doing uh rather well so uh you know we don't know the answer yet it'll be an interesting thing to watch here uh going forward but uh, they, they they are certainly making some some rather big changes uh for an airline that's that's uh that, that's still doing uh reasonably well and i don't mean to overstate that i mean look 90 percent of what they're doing is still you know they're still in ultra
0: low-cost carrier still the highly unbundled product and, and and all the rest of it uh, uh so yeah we'll we'll see and, uh, number one on the list, the most profitable airline for 12 trailing months was Allegiant with its 30% operating margin, which is just astonishing. I mean, 30%, that's for a year, not for, not for a quarter. Uh, my question, a year from now, will Allegiant still be atop the list? Can they keep it going?
1: Well, I think they will, uh, really. Uh, it's- Because of a simple mathematical reason, which is that they're, they're, they're so, they're so much higher than anybody else. You know, Ryanair is number two at 23%, fractionally better than, uh, than the merged Alaska and Virgin. And so it's just when you're that much higher. Um, you know, as you slide things forward quarter by quarter, I mean, it would take Allegiance slipping a lot and one of those other airlines that's, that's right below it, Ryan Air, Alaska Spirit, um, uh, you know, Southwest not too far behind and JetBlue, you know, doing so much better. So, um, so in that case, um, I would bet just for, very simple mathematical reasons that yes it it uh, stays there if it, if it was just uh, you know a question of of uh, a percentage point or two or fractions thereof then uh, that then it would be a, uh, a tougher call you drill down more and see what's what's going on at, at Allegiant. Uh, you know they too are in this environment that, uh, that we discussed um, but it's a little bit different because their network is just much less exposed to other airlines but I mean, it's changing somewhat but you know, a lot of people flying Allegiant are flying it not only because of, of its very low fares, but also just because it, it's it's the only way to fly nonstop from you know the small city where they live to Las Vegas or Orlando or, or the leisure destination they want to go to. So that's a little bit different from somebody who's flying you know Spirit from Chicago to Dallas, uh, and you know there are other airlines serving the market nonstop, and you know. The, the, the the main reason why spirit is 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 price so um allegiance network maybe a little bit more durable in an environment like this uh yeah hard, hard to uh imagine them slipping into second place just because of of what a big lead they have
0: and in this case the top of the list means the end of the show We'll be back next week with another episode that will, I'm sure, include discussions about Delta's earnings report, the first of the season. Try to control your excitement, Seth. Until then, for Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. Thanks for joining us in the Airline Weekly Lounge. This podcast has been sponsored by the OAG Punctuality League. Learn more at oag.com slash punctuality league 2016. You know, I flew Allegiant last week. Yeah, and bags arrived on time plane arrived on time. (laughs) I was happy. Happy earnings season to you and yours, Jason. Thank you. (laughs)